Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to a new episode of Field Days, an award-winning podcast about news and hot topics related to the Michigan Department of Corrections. Here are your almost witty hosts, Chris Gouts and Greg Straub. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Field Days Podcast. I'm Greg Straub, joined as always by the department spokesperson, Chris Scouts. Chris, we have a, a friend of the pod on today. I'm excited to have one of our good friends on here uh, who's been on before talking about a really cool topic. Um, if you remember back a few months ago, we talked about coaches versus referees and the importance of the interactions that our staff have with the offenders, how that interaction can be super impactful or super negative and uh you know brian lovins came on and talked about uh, an article that he wrote i thought it was awesome what'd you think chris yeah i really liked it and uh well we obviously incorporated it we'll talk about that yeah. in a little bit and but it's great to have brian back because like many people who have been on uh, our podcast before they he is also now the recipient of the podcast bump he's a lucky recipient of our bump yeah, yeah. so he's got he's got two bumps and so we probably should have him talk about uh talk about that and, and what he's done since he's last been on. Yeah, Brian. So you, you may not know, but people that um, historically have come on Field Days podcast, their career usually takes off and we call that our podcast bump. You, you're welcome. That's why uh, I came on initially. I know. <laughs> that's right. So you're welcome. Clearly, uh, we have some great news to talk about today and why you got the podcast bump. But first, let's let's talk about you and remind our, our staff and everybody out there who, who you are. When you came on last time, you were leading a probation agency in Houston, Texas, right? Correct. Yeah, I was the assistant director for Harris County Community Supervision Corrections Department. And um, you have since you have since moved kind of out of the, the public sector and moved into the private sector. You now are um, one of three principals for the Justice System Partners, right, JSP? That's correct. Okay, so in that role, what, what are you doing in the field of community corrections? Yeah, it was such an incredible opportunity. I, I really liked the my work in Harris County and was planning to stay for a long time. But, you know, given the kind of the national level of opportunity for change, I really wanted to take an opportunity to get on a national platform to really push kind of some major reforms. I think uh, probation, parole, community corrections is is really at that spot where we're ready to take the next step and start to recognize kind of the impacts that we can have on justice-involved individuals' lives. And so my role at JSP kind of extends what I did in Harris County, you know, a small microcosm of the world in Harris, uh, although, you know, us in Harris believe we, we're our own country at times. The truth is that some of the lessons learned that we have there, I think, are applicable across the country and can really have an impact on uh, what the system and what the field does. Yeah, no, I agree. That's exciting for us. Um, I know you're going to be branching out into some research in this profession, and that's always you know really, really good for us here in Michigan because we like to try to base everything we do on what works and the best practice and research. So looking very, very forward to that. But let's talk about some other great news that happened to you recently. I know you ran a campaign to be president of APPA, which everybody knows what APPA is, uh, the American Probation Parole Association, and you ran for president of that. And tell us the results of that uh, election. I did. I'm quite excited to uh, announce that I was uh, selected as president-elect for APPA. Uh, So what that means is over the course of the next two years, I will operate as president-elect working under uh, the current president, Tim Hardy, uh, to help support his uh, kind of initiatives across the system. Uh, And then as well as start to implement some of the ones that I ran on. And then in 2021, 
will take over the presidency for those two years. But I'm quite excited that the that the electorate uh, has selected me. It was, I think, pretty competitive this year. We uh, were told that it was the highest percentage of members voting this year than can ever be remembered. So it was a, a huge group of people uh, that were supporting both myself and Gene as candidates. And so uh, I was excited that I came out on top. Yeah, and we're and we're excited too. We love the philosophies that you come with, um, that you bring to the table, and uh, we I can't wait. You know, until your your term begins, and um, you know, you can start really getting at your core values of, of this profession, which they're, they're very, you know, criminal justice reform kind of things and evidence based kind of things. So it's super exciting for us here in Michigan to have you as president elect and, and, and in that position in a couple of years. So let's talk about that. What are I mean, I know your platform, what you ran on, but maybe some out here in Michigan mm-hmm. don't know what platform was that? What did you run on? Uh, So APPA has served a a significant impact on the system and and on probation pro over the last 40 years. I really see an opportunity, though, to grow three primary areas. Work in the field, the first, and and I think we all know that, all all of us who work in the field often uh, are really worried about the negative kind of outcome, right? And that that we're always concerned that someone that we serve or someone that's being served under us goes out and does something really bad. And and a lot of times, a lot of decisions are made on risk-averse decisions. So one of the first things that I want to be able to do is create a kind of a repository or a, uh, a national platform for uh, the Center for Success and Innovation. And so needless to say, CSI being the, the initials, I'm not sure that it'll stick with that one. And we may change the kind of the lettering and name innovation succession maybe or success. But really, this would be a clearinghouse of, uh, of stories of people doing great work, of research around probation and parole, which surprisingly is relatively limited to the impact of, of what we can do. Also, initiatives and, and places where folks can share information, but talk about the successes that we have as well. I, I think we lose focus on on the one or two bad situations that occur and, and forget to recognize that in some states, there's 70 and 80 percent successful completion rates of folks that are coming out of the system or that are placed on supervision. And, and I think we need to celebrate that and recognize that uh, as a field, we can have some great impacts on people's lives. So that's the first initiative. The second one is really around setting some standards for the field. Uh, We we have over 3,000 organizations that provide some level of community corrections, either probation, parole, supervision, pretrial, and not a set of standards that drive our field. And so if you were to start your own probation department, you really could do anything you want, which uh, you know, for discretion purposes and professionalism, I think that makes sense. But there's not a single professional field that doesn't have a set of standards that are guiding our work. And so I want to kind of work off the backs of previous presidents. They're starting to, for APPA. They're starting to put together some form of standards and, and want to continue that and push it forward and really bring that to light. And then the third one really is 
building for the future. Uh, as I look around APPA, for example, there's a lot of representation of my generation, a little older, but we we haven't connected well to those uh, in the field and, and younger generations. And, and I think being able to provide a platform for folks that are newer to the field to see the growth and to see the potential that uh, probation pro can have and then be able to participate in APPA and bring in that excitement and that that drive and the passion that they have to the organization. Well, that's great, Dan. We really, we definitely look forward to you being able to roll that out and when you officially take over. You know, we, as we mentioned at the top of the show, you know, one of the, the reasons why we had you on uh, the first time was to talk about your coaches versus referee model. Uh, and as we talked about, we took that to heart and we actually pushed to, to get that as part of our new strategic plan. So uh, for all of our uh, staff that are listening, this is goal two. And goal two is to promote a culture that fosters success for everyone. And objective 2.1 comes from Brian, uh, establish a coaching model to improve interactions with offenders with a target date of December 31st, 2020. So we're in the process right now of, of putting that together and making sure we everybody understands kind of what that looks like. But I was wondering if you could talk to our staff about how you see coaches uh, versus referee, that model, and maybe an example or two of how that interaction would look like between a, a prisoner and an officer or a field agent uh, and a pro lead. No, I, I absolutely love the fact that you guys are taking this on. I think it's a, a huge step for corrections, and and I'm not surprised that Michigan is the first to really adopt this model. You guys have been ahead of the curve for the last really 20 years, and, and the work that you guys are doing and, and the outcomes you have really are a you know they're a guide for the for the nation, and so. Uh, I'm super excited about that. And I think this ref coach or this coach idea really lends uh, directly to probation, parole, also facilities, institutions, uh, in that if we start to think about the interactions that, that – and I think this is where – it really comes home to me is it's where we put our interest, right? And if our interest is in the individual that we're serving – like that is our outcome, not our outcome isn't to apply rules, but it's to address or to change or to improve a person's life. And I think that's where the interactions come, right? It's the investment in not the rules, because I think in corrections, we get stuck on and really thinking about our job is to enforce rules and instead starting to think about it from a perspective of our job is, you know, we're invested in the individual person and that we apply rules and we apply reinforcers and we, we do all of those things to improve the outcome for this person and not just to do the work. To me, interactions become significantly different. So if there's a an interaction around that, that an individual used violence or manipulation uh, or on the good side, an interaction where someone in avoided a high-risk situation or took a step to growth. All of those things are opportunities for us as staff to acknowledge, reinforce, shape behavior. And so if it's so we take the negative side of someone uses violence, we can start to talk about it almost similar to a, a coach talks to their player about making an error. 
right? That that let's talk about how you can prepare differently for that. Let's practice the situation uh, ahead of time so that the next time that this situation arises or one like it, uh, you can use a new set of skills and practice that. And then gives us opportunities to see in real life opportunities to reinforce when they do use those skills, right? Just like in sports, there's all there's still a consequence, right? So as a coach, you know, if someone has an error or continues to make errors, maybe an opportunity to put them kind of in a different position or bench them for a minute to give them some practice time to get better. Same thing in an institution. Someone uses violence, there's consequences to that, of course. But it's really getting benched doesn't improve someone catching a grounder at third base and getting, you know, put in some sort of consequence period doesn't stop someone from using future violence. It's really the coaching part and the learning and the teaching piece that comes after that that makes the difference. And and that's why I love the fact that you guys are pushing this forward and, and really thinking about it. Because if we can give people specific skills to manage their environment more successfully and not just rely on punishers to shape behavior, I think we're going to have a significantly better outcome uh, for people returning back to the community. I think where our staff might, I don't know if struggle is the right word, but but in terms of grasping this concept is, you know, we always talk about over-familiarity and, you know, they might see here coaching and think we're trying to make them be cheerleaders and, you know, and are there kind of some guideposts or some ways that you, you've seen that, that might help us uh, help them kind of actualize this? I think that is a, a legitimate concern, right? As we start to see people, especially on our side as professionals, I think it's a little bit easier, right? Because the staff are professionals and just like coaches, we have boundaries and we have expectations of boundaries and, and right. And there's always people who, you know, coaches who slip and, and do inappropriate things. But I mean, that's regardless of how we set it up, but where we really have to kind of be mindful about is it's when we start to have those types of relationships with people who don't have great boundaries, be it the the individuals that are incarcerated or people on probation or parole, where their boundaries may be a little bit, um, you know, softer or a little bit looser than ours. And, And so they start to see staff in different lights. And then, which opens again then exposes kind of that risk of conversation or risk of the individual that's incarcerated their view of the staff but to me that's another coaching opportunity right that's another opportunity to say to someone look let's talk about what the expectations here are about what this relationship looks like and so just like coaching if things become too familiar between you know the uh, athlete and and coach that relationship breaks down and you start to see problems between other players you know we know that there are coaches who have favorites on the field and it impacts the other people on the field as well and so i think it's a risk well taken but i can understand the kind of the the discomfort of it and i think as a system really thinking about how do you manage you know because i believe the staff are going to be professional and maintain good boundaries it's really how do you manage the response from uh, the individuals that are under some sort of supervision and how do you help staff shape those conversations moving forward oh, that's great and uh, you know before we let you go we, whenever we have somebody of your stature you know, that has a national perspective uh, we always like to uh, hear from those folks to see is, is there anything that you can tell our staff that maybe that you've seen in another state or you've seen you know in a journal somewhere that, that that's a really great new concept or idea or piece of technology that's out there that people are using or doing that we might want to incorporate here or look into 
Yeah, I, there's a couple, right? There's a couple moves to change, uh, especially incarcerated events or incarcerated settings to be more mirroring more community than they are incarceration. And, and I think they're starting to show some pretty good effects, right? So uh, there's folks that have gone over to Germany and taken a look at some of their prison systems. Uh, we've had uh, a recent study done by Vera on the East Coast around around a curriculum. No, North Dakota starting to to do a few more things around their facilities. I would challenge us to think about, and, and I tell my, my colleagues this all the time, that no one gets better in a box, right? And that we improve because of our social interactions with people and our growth. And, and you know, we isolate from folks. We learn, we don't learn much. And so I think really continuing to push kind of edge of the envelope to, to start to think about, what can we do to break down isolation in facilities and be able to encourage cooperation, socialization, and growth in a safe way and use those as teaching opportunities? I do want to mention to you, because I know you, you work closely and are, and are very close with an individual in Cincinnati by the name of Dr. Ed Latessa, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we had Dr. Latessa here in Michigan last spring who talked to 200 or so of our supervisors and managers. I got to tell you, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And uh, you know he does awesome. He does an awesome job presenting and our, our staff really enjoyed it. Would love to get you to Michigan and uh, you know, hang out with our staff and talk to him at some point here in the near future if, if, if you're up to it. We, we'd love to have you in Michigan. Yeah, absolutely. As long as it's not in January or February, I'm good. <laughs> good, very, smart good man. very good call. Yes, <laughs> you know we, we can't we can't thank you enough for coming on Field Days again. We know that you are you know very busy with all the roles that you're playing. Your your new job, president elect of APPA. Um, so we can't thank you enough for taking time to talk with our staff, to talk with us, because what you talk about is so important, and the the work that you do is so important, and the and the philosophies that you are are promoting are so important. So thank you for what you do every single day, and thanks for coming on Field Days and talking to us today. Awesome. Thank you guys very much. And uh, I look forward to seeing what bump two will bring. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Take care. Well, Chris, it was another big get for the Department of Corrections. You know, Brian Lovins, a nationally known figure in our in our field of corrections. And it's always it's always good to get, you know, those national people on the podcast so they can hear, you know, somebody on a national level talking about evidence based and, and what's working. And I thought it was really cool to have him on again and even better that he's gonna be president of APPA because, you know, hopefully he can push more of his message globally and it'll be good for everyone in this field. Yeah, absolutely. It's always good to have him on. It was another good good message from him. Well, you know, Chris, another friend of the pod who was on right before she retired. I noticed on social media, um, she was over talking to a, a new recruit class of officers, and it, she's the namesake of that class, Denise Alsberry. So that's kind of cool that you know she's recognized in that way that she's going to have a, a corrections officer class named after her because Denise is awesome. She's an awesome human being, and um, you know I, I know she's enjoying her retirement, but she is she's definitely missed here in FOA for sure. So it's good to, it's good to see her doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I was bummed I, I missed that, but uh, we had some folks there. We got some pictures of her uh, yeah. doing that, and uh, I actually ran into uh, an officer recruit that's in that class and said that he enjoyed her presentation. Uh, I met, met him over the weekend, and then uh, just in terms of like the, the class itself and what they do, and we had Lynn on Lynn Gorski to talk about yep. wellness and the fact that she goes and, and does these talks when they have the family groups on uh, over the weekend. Weekend, I also met the father of an officer who's in the current recruit class in Denise's class, and I asked him about, you know, if, if he went to the parenting group and, and what he thought about it, and he said he did, and that he said he really got a lot out of it. He really appreciated that we do that because, unfortunately, he said before that meeting, he had run into some retirees that he knew from the facility, and they kind of spoke negatively about the department and were like, and 
kind of worrying about you know his not going into this and then but he's like i i took it with a grain of salt i know some people after many years have will be iffy about you know their their employer he said but i went into this meeting and i saw what you guys are doing and how positive it is and and, and but they it, but it was still realistic you know lynn talked about and some of the other instructors talked about you know what th- the realities of the job he's like but i i didn't really have any qualms really about my son going into this job beforehand and I really felt good about it afterwards because I I really appreciate all the information and so kudos to the training staff and to Lynn and everybody who does such a good job putting family members at ease and and, and just being transparent and open with them about what's to come with with their loved ones going into this that's a really good thing so it's good to hear that other people are having a good experience. No it it is good there's a lot of there's a lot of changes happening in the recruit classes and that being one of them where they bring the family in we talked about that a little bit on this podcast and um, yeah Chris Schweiker was on and talked about that yeah I think it's a huge change to involve family members of, of the recruits. So there was also some big news last week, Chris, about um, a green prison. You want to talk about that? Yeah, that was really uh, exciting news. Governor Whitmer uh, announced last week a number of initiatives across state government towards more sustainability projects and green energy. Uh, and one of the, at least I would consider, one of the highlights out of that press release was about us and the fact that uh, we are going to be putting out a request for proposal for an energy uh, contract where we're going to create our, the state's first green prison and probably one of, if not the first, green prison in the whole country. So again, Michigan leading the way, uh, doing things and ha- having other people follow. Uh, but this is going to be at the St. Louis Correctional Facility. It really worked out for them. We looked at, you know, we looked at a number of factors when we kind of audited all of our facilities of which ones could be the best fit for this. And we looked at, you know, the current energy rates that facilities are paying at each of their locations, if they've done any sort of energy projects before, and then also what kind of physical space they have. And at St. Louis, they've got about six acres of land right next to the prison where you could put up a pretty sizable solar uh, array. Uh, But it's not just going to be solar. It's going to be a number of other things, more LED lighting, uh, water catchment, you know, rainwater reuse, a lot of really cool and interesting things that they're going to be doing. The facility won't be fully green powered because we're not going to have any sort of battery storage technology. So at night when we still have to run all of our lighting equipment and cameras, we're going to have to rely on traditional energy sources. But during the, the peak times, which are going to be obviously in the afternoons when, when the sun is out and it's the hottest, um, and that's when our energy usage you know really goes up, we're going to be able to use those solar panels to offset that cost to the tune of saving overall in that facility energy their energy bills are going we're going to be see savings of anywhere from 500 to 700,000 dollars a year. So that's pretty uh, pretty sizable and then over the course of 15 years once this gets going, we'll have saved uh, about 1.2 million dollars because we have to pay back the cost of the company that's going to that they pay for everything up front and then we pay them back over a course of 15 years. Even accounting for that, we expect we're going to save about 1.2 million dollars over the next 15 years and then once that 15 year period is up, all that savings will just be ours. And so that's you know again about 700,000 dollars a year once you get to that time period. So pretty exciting stuff. Well, we're going to decide how we're going to use that savings, whether we're going to use it to fund other energy programs or, or do something else kind of unique with it. But we've got a lot of a lot of potential and uh, there's a lot of other facilities that we could do something like this on top of the ones that we were already doing, you know, Jackson and Ionia and at Kinross, people at those facilities know that they've been doing energy projects for years now and have seen incredible amount of savings in the tens of millions of dollars at their facilities. So really cool stuff. And uh, we look forward to doing even more of it. That is cool. Uh, you know, it's, it's good to see that we're on the forefront and leading the way when it comes to green prisons. So uh, it's good to see us moving in that direction for sure. You know, when I was on Twitter the other day, Chris, Joel posted something that really caught my eye. It was, it was a quote from an article. And it said, my focus since 2009 when I got sober in prison was to try and pay it forward and make up for some of the wrongs I have done. So I'm, glad ca- you, I'm glad you finally came around and did that, Greg. Yeah, no, well, 
Yes, that's that's true. I, that, I could I could have had that quote too, but but I saw that on Twitter, and I, so it caught my eye, and I, I read the article, and it was a really interesting article of what's happening at WHV Women's Huron Valley around being certified in Braille. Yeah, so we got this really cool email last week from Warren Brewer and, and his staff talking about the fact that the first four women at WHV received their certifications from the Library of Congress for the Braille work that they do. So as you know, if you've listened to previous episodes of the podcast, we know that at WHV we're building right now the, and I just saw some photos uh, also last week of the construction of the building going up for the Vocational Village. And inside of the village is going to be housed our second Braille uh, location. Right now we have obviously a group at Cotton that have been doing it for a number of years, uh, making textbooks and other items for for the blind, uh, and they've done tremendously well. And so now we're going to bring that program to WHV. And so because the the building itself and all the equipment won't be installed until later this year or early next year, we didn't want to wait until then, get into the building, and then start learning how to do it. So in this lead up, as the construction is going on, Cindy Olmstead, who is the president and CEO of the Michigan Braille Transcribing Fund, has been working with these women and getting them certified so that way when the building is ready, they can walk in on day one and be ready to go and start producing. Uh, and these women have been doing amazing things. They've been spending a lot of time getting the certification ready uh, and getting certified. So just really a big kudos and shout out to, to those women and all the people who helped make that happen. And I know there's a bunch more in the pipeline that are going to be getting their certification. So that's really incredibly good and positive. And uh, there's great, great potential for uh, not only a job, but a career in this field because it's so unique and so highly skilled. And we've had more than a dozen in members uh, of the, the cotton program that have gotten out once they've paroled and have even started their own businesses doing Braille transcribing. So there, there's a lot of really great potential and can make a really uh, a good living um, out of this uh, once, you, once you get out because, the, again, the skill set is so unique and, and so difficult to master. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's awesome that we're involved in that. Um, so on, on, a, on a Saturday note, Chris, I saw you tweeted out last week um, your thoughts and prayers with, uh, with our staff over in Tennessee. You know, yeah, it was very sad. It was in, you know, Director Washington, you know, sent it around as well, just as a reminder to always remain vigilant to all of our staff, whether they're in the field or, you know, obviously in the facilities, because we have in Tennessee, they lost one of their staff members to a prisoner who escaped and murdered uh, a female member of their staff on on his way uh, escaping from the facility. And our thoughts and prayers are with our brothers and sisters in Tennessee uh, and what they're going through. I'm sure the Honor Guard, I know that they posted about it. I'm sure they're going to be doing what they do and in honoring folks in the Tennessee Department of Corrections. But also really great news, too, we learned this weekend is that the individual, the prisoner, was apprehended. And so now he is back in custody and will be facing, I'm sure, a plethora of new charges related to uh, to that. Uh, a lot of news, a lot of news this week, Chris. So hope everybody enjoyed this episode of Field Days and tune in next week for a new episode of Field Days Podcast. All right, as always, thank you for listening. We'd love it if you would help us spread the word about the podcast. You can do that by subscribing to the show on iTunes and leave us a review. You can always follow the department on Facebook at MI Corrections and on Twitter at Michigan DOC, as well as the FOA account at MDOC FOA and the CFA account at MDOC CFA. And you can send any questions you have to the show using the hashtag AskFieldDays. Until next time, Thanks for tuning in to Field Day's podcast.